When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk Welcome back to the Pull Up Trey podcast. I am Trey. This is Samson, as always. And we have a new guest, someone that has been on the podcast before. I like to refer to him as my son. On Raptors Republic, he might be called the Rookie of the Year. <laughs> nice budding star on the team. Makai, Bruce, how are you doing? Hey, I'm chilling, bro. I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to be with such famous people right now. Famous? I, I wouldn't, I would not say that. Nice nah, fame. Yeah, yeah, got fame. We were saying before the podcast, Kai and I, that you're the financier for all the Mr. Beast videos, is what we I were I did hear that. <laughs> Um, so this is obviously we're right on the heels, I suppose, of All-Star Weekend. And that means that, yes, we're going to talk a little bit about All-Star Weekend. But coming up, we have the Pirtle trade because Trey and I haven't talked about it. I know he has opinions. Kai obviously has opinions. Some people have heard mine. There's a starting lineup question heading into the, you know, out of the All-Star break as well. The team as a whole, lots of stuff to talk about. We'll start with the All-Star Weekend. Uh, if I could get like a, a short soliloquy from everybody on what they thought, Kai, we'll, we'll start with you, Rookie of the Year, little superstar that you are. What do you think of All-Star Weekend? I mean, you know, night one was cool. You know, the celebrity game is pretty funny. You know, Richard Jefferson was doing a lot of funny stuff and the celebrity All-Star game was, you know, fine. And the Rising Stars game, you know, Jose Alvarado had the greatest mic'd up performance ever. You know, he kept, you know, cursing a bunch and just... You know, and everybody's saying like, oh, he's an old man. Like, why is he playing? But I thought, you know, I thought it worked out pretty well. And then, you know, Saturday night, it was cool. You know, the skill challenge obviously was trash. But three-point contest, you know, Dame, you know, did his thing. The dunk contest, Mac McCong did his thing. So, and then, you know, obviously Sunday, the game sucked. So overall, I would say it's like a 6 point, nah, 5.8 out of 10. Damn. Actually, Kai, I want to ask you this because this was a moment. And I wonder if it was for you, Trey, as well. That once you're older than most of the players who are getting drafted, because you called Jose Alvarado an old man, was this a moment in your life, Trey? And then have you noticed that this moment has come and gone for you, Kai, that you're older now than most of the players when they get drafted? And I'm, and like you spend most of your life, it's like these guys are men to you, but now they're kids, you know? Mm-hmm. What's that like? I think like for me, it's, it's kind of crazy because I'm late 20s, so like – probably like around Makai's age, you would think that like Pascal Siakam is like ancient, <laughs> for example. But like, Well, he's our age and Kai calls us ancient. That is calls true. Us he old does man call us ancient. But like, he's really not that old. But like when you're like 17, 18, around that range, like you don't even like conceptualize getting that old. But now like Scotty Barnes coming in, you're like, of course he's on Twitch. He's a child. <laughs> so it's like that, that switch in mindset, I think definitely does happen. What's it like for you, Kai? Yeah, I mean, you know, a few years back, it would be like, oh, man, like this guy's getting drafted. He's a grown man. Like, that's, that must be crazy. And now it's like be older than the guys. Like, 
it don't really make me view them any differently right now because, you know, I'm only 20 and they're going to be like 18, 19 coming into the draft. But, you know, when I look at like Jose Alvarado age, I'm like, man, like, what's he like, 25, 26? I look at his, like, his age in the Rising Stars game, I'm like, man, that is an old dude to be playing with all these kids. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a good place to, to I guess, Trey. Your thoughts on All-Star Weekend? All right. Is it higher than 5.8? What's the deal? Um, big. I'll keep on short. Big takeaways. I think it's clear like the, the Elam ending doesn't necessarily work. It adds like certain intrigue, especially like late towards the game. But like the players have to try, obviously, for it for it to work. And I think um, obviously the stuff with Kobe happened right along with the, the ending that happened which kind of gives, I think, a lot of us false hope of what the All-Star game probably could be and expectations have been higher. So I think, like, moving forward, either A, like, there needs to be more in- incentive or B, um, reduce, reduce like, the seriousness of the game, sort of similar to, like, the NFL has and turning into, like, a flag football game where it's four kids and it should be fun. And I think um, Saturday I was actually surprised by how good the dunk-off was. And I think a big takeaway from that is I think people just kind of want to see cool dunks. Like, obviously, the big names heading into it would be nice. You would, you want to see Ja, Anthony Edwards do those type of dunks. But Matt McClung did a 540 and, and won, the, won the, the whole thing, which is a dunk we probably haven't seen, which is super crazy. And everyone's still raving about it. So I think if you get people who actually are doing dunk, not Jericho Sims also. Never again. <laughs> Never bring that man back. <laughs> but if you have people that are specialized in this and do it really well, I think there's still some excitement that you can get from that that event. So those are my two, like, two or three big takeaways. Yeah, Kai, he, he mentioned at the start that we were famous, but the guy who's actually famous, who uh, for anybody listening, will be on to talk with me about his experience at All-Star Weekend. But um, Esfandiar, our friend S., sharing a flight with Mac McClung, probably both of them seated right at the front of the plane, first class, I would assume. Uh, so that's a fun little footnote. I'm, I'm excited to hear more about that in the future. The thing for me was the leg and I were watching it together. I did this long walk and I came back and they were introducing the guys. And then I went for another long walk and I came back and they hadn't started the game yet. And I was like, damn, this takes a long time. They had the draft. They had all that stuff going on. It started at like what quarter after nine. Yeah. So it's late, especially if it's going to be for kids. I don't know. Maybe, jeez, oh, I sound old right now. I'm going to just skip ahead. Oleg and I were watching the game like, damn, they're not really playing hard at all. And he said, I wish they would just try and like swat dudes, really go for blocks and everything. And as you guys well know, Oleg is what's referred to as a, a LeBron stan. He loves mm-hmm. LeBron. His relation to the NBA, his fandom revolves around how good LeBron is doing. If LeBron is king of the league, Oleg is watching all the games. If he's not, he doesn't know what's happening. So LeBron, All-Star Weekend, he got injured trying to block Pascal Siakam. And it was really funny because Oleg was just making a big stink about how players need to do that. Then his guy got injured. I couldn't believe it. Um, Yeah, it it was boring. I, I was, after having enjoyed quite a few different, I guess, aspects of All-Star Weekend over the past, I don't know, five, six years, some some years like the the skills challenge has been fun when it like brought big guys for the first time and you saw like a big dude hustling bustling down like the throw ahead dribble go get it all that kind of stuff the three point competition the dunk competition every three years you get a good one the game into 2020 obviously 
this Raptors podcast. Everybody wants to hear us say that Kyle Lowry made the All-Star game good, so I'll just hit the quota. That's what it was. But it was bad this year, man. I couldn't believe how zoned out of it I was. There was nothing engaging going on. And so we'll leave that there. For anybody who really enjoyed it, I guess comment and tell us why we're wrong or why it was awesome, if you thought it was. But I suspect that's not the case. Jakob Pertle, he makes, in my opinion, the Raptors significantly more fun for the the near, for the short term. I've enjoyed his presence on the team very much. There was a cost to that trade. We're going to talk about basically all of that. And I want to start with Trey because he was part of the pull-up Trey podcast episode that we had S where we said, would you rather trade Fred Van Vliet or, or give up a first-round pick for, for a something this season? All three of us said we would rather get a first-round pick and, or, and trade Fred Van Vliet for a first-round pick was the question. And what we got instead was a first-round pick, top six protected, for the next four years, after that it conveys a second-round pick this year, the Raptors, and a second-round pick next year. So that's what was traded for Jakob Pertl and Kim Birch as well. Trey, thoughts on the trade? Um, there's, I'll just like preface this. There's like very few times where my smile has been taken by this team. <laughs> this, this, is, this, is the, this is the fourth time my smile has been taken. The first time is when Kobe scored 81. This the second how, how old time. Were, how old were you when that happened? I think that was like I want to feel, feel like that was like 2008. I want to say so. What was I probably 2006? Like, I think right 2006. So I would have been like 11. 11. Damn. I turned the TV off. I was very mad. It was it was like the meme. You know the Philadelphia meme after the Raptors won and the kids are just like <laughs> walking around the house crying. Was that was that? Was that oh, you? I was so upset, especially because uh, like Chuck Scorsese like said like the game is over. He said his famous line like maybe like early third quarter, and then Kobe scored a million points after, and we lost the game. Damn. That was time number one. The second time is where the Wizards swept us. I never thought basketball could oh. get worse. The w- game three, DeMar <laughs> scored 20 points in the first quarter, and I was like, okay, we're getting one, and we lost that game. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, dude. Oh, Luo broke my heart. <laughs> The third time is when we lost to the Cavs in, in 2018 because I was super positive we were going to win. There was no doubt in my mind. I told every person I knew we were going to win the series. <laughs> but that's it was LeBron. And then this is the fourth time. And the big, the biggest reason is that obviously you wanted them to pick a direction heading into Dunham, whether they're selling or whether they're buying. And they obviously chose to buy and they're keeping this core together to some degree. But it hasn't significantly changed their aspect and towards like where they can achieve in the standings or even like contend in the future. And they've also decided, like Masai, Masai kind of alluded like in his press conference that they've looked at several of these other drafts and they feel like it's going to be they're going to get a great return based on what they're seeing in next year's draft. But also in previous drafts, John Morant was an unknown prospect and he became he became a second round pick and a superstar. Cade Cunningham comes on late, becomes a, a can't-miss first first overall pick. Stuff like that happens, and the um, the Raptors didn't give themselves protection in those circumstances. Like The pick is only top six protected, and they're making a huge assumption that they're going to either A, contend, or B, even if they fall within that seven to eight or ten pick, that that pick isn't going to be good. So I just think like the... 
the odds of like the lack of protection that they gave with the the proto trade a forces them to have to try to make some moves for like a star in the future because the team is getting really expensive for heading near the tax and they've never paid the tax before. And Except then for, um, they paid the tax in the championship year. Okay, they paid yeah. the tax in the championship year. Um, and then also B, you're heading into a, a contract year at Pascal Siakam, so you need to obviously present a team that can contend in the future because this is going to be, we're basically going to be signing him for his prime years and the best years of his career. So overall, I would say um, I've we're going to get more clarity in the summer, but right now I would say the Spurs robbed us two years in a row. Damn. Kai, I need your thoughts, brother. Yeah, when I first saw the trade, it was when I woke up like 3 a.m. and after I saw the KD news, I'm like, oh, oh like they got a center now, a center like that they're familiar with. And then they were like, oh, the protection didn't come out yet. So I'm like, oh. And then I, my assumption was that it would be like, you know what I'm saying? Like good protections. Like it wouldn't be some like crazy protection like that it turned out to be. And then when I saw the protection was just, it's just top six, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I was like, maybe they can like stretch it like to like, you know, top 14 protected, maybe like top 10. But when I saw it was top six, I was like, like, man, like that's a crazy protection to get. But, you know, like you said, in the near future, Jakob obviously makes the team better. He just adds a new element to the team that they were missing, you know, for the entire season. And I just think that it was probably a mistake to really just give away all the picks like that. And just the weird way that if it doesn't convey, it turns into another first and it turns into another first after that. So just the way that the protections went made this deal just look a lot more ugly for me. Hmm. So the interesting thing is that for me, in my coverage, I'm probably not going to... I guess be like too caught up about it because it makes the team way more fun this season. Uh, there'll be way more interesting things out for my job to write about and it makes the team more compelling. But the question I don't think is about um, how, how good they are now really, because everybody understands that this probably isn't a championship contending team that Jakob Pertl solidifies them. <laughs> As probably, hey, damn, Kobe, he's, he's got something to say. Um, so anyway, he, he solidifies them as, as a team that is capable of winning games, certainly. And the center position is really important in the NBA. But the thing is, the this locks the Raptors into a really expensive version of the team. This also costs a decent amount of draft capital. And to go back to that point, they probably don't have a significant ceiling and the Raptors are a team that, you know, if you're going to be paying the tax, which they did the championship season, if they're going to be sold on the, I guess the pairing of Scotty and Pascal, you have to want to be good. You have to want to be all these different things. And the Raptors are still currently trying to navigate two timelines, merge them together. Jakob Pertl certainly is People will view that as leaning more towards Pascal's timeline, let's say. But I think it's also important for Scotty Barnes to play ne- play next to a good center and not have to like guard up against guys all the time. And so w- I think the trade was, in- was imperfect. And I think that there's a reason a lot of people, analysts, fans, when they saw that trade happen, they thought more was coming because they thought that this seems kind of like a directionless trade for the future of the Raptors, not necessarily this season, but the future of the Raptors. 
if they don't follow this up with anything, especially with all of the turmoil reported around roles, expectations, and drama around the team. All this did was make them better this year. I enjoy good basketball, but it puts a lot of pressure on them this summer. And I think like they kicked the can down the road. They paid a first round pick, a second this year, and a second next season to kick the can down the road. If they knock it out of the park in the summer, I talked with Sam Vassini. We did a podcast. He suggested he was like, it seems like the Raptors could be star hunting this summer. They look to make that big package. They they don't have next year's first round pick, but they can do what the Lakers do and package the 2027, 2029 and tell people, this is really great. You're going to love this. These are super good picks or something like that. But I think I'm... For my job, I'm happy with it because it's way more interesting to cover Jakob Pertl playing with all these different guys. And everybody here wanted to see the Raptors players next to a center. I know I know that for certain. And most most fans did. I think it also signifies the end of the Vision 6-9 thing, which I was praying for. I know Masai tried to have it both ways and act like this is a continuation of the 6-9 thing not allowed okay you can't have it both ways like that but I think that they paid a pretty heavy cost um if they re-sign Jakob if they it this is tangentially related to what they do in the summer because they didn't change the ceiling that much this season they'll be fun this season we'll enjoy it I'm getting long-winded here but the real decisions come in the summer uh does anybody disagree with that and and if not uh what would you like to see them do in the summer I suppose hmm. I'll jump in. Um, in the summer, like they'd certainly have to start on the the major questions that I have is like their ability to do so. Yeah. Is because obviously by holding on to the team, you know that Fred and Gary are most likely opting out of their they'd be dumb if they didn't, if they opt out of their contracts, which makes them far less valuable and harder to trade in inside and trade situations. And then it appears that um either OG is heading for free agency. And, and possibly leaving, or there's just some sort of turmoil there based on the rumors that we've seen. So that probably makes him less likely, harder to trade in a star package. And also just because he has one year left and everyone knows that he wants to leave, how many picks are, how many picks would they really be willing to give up to get a star when Masai has never really shown that inkling of, of doing so? So that's probably like the major questions I have. And I'm assuming if it is a major star that it would have to include Scotty in order to get it done. And that's certain that's certainly something I'm open to. I just am confused in how they attempt on getting to that path. It's it's definitely a tough position to be in because that that is the thing about OG is that if you're going to trade OG and Anobi, you I want them to keep OG, quite frankly. But if you're going to trade him, he will be significantly more valuable if the team trading for him knows on this contract, they get two playoff runs with OG Ananobi. Now, they only get one, guaranteed. And OG is the exact type of player. He hits his threes, he defends like hell, and he can oscillate between like the lowest usage, just hit your threes, and then a little bit more usage, which is really valuable in the playoffs. That's what teams were paying for. That's what they wanted. But... When it comes to this, it's like, well, you just took away a playoff run from the asking price. And that really affects what teams will be willing to give. 
uh, we heard for a long time. It's like three first round picks. Uh, there's no way that'll be the case going forward. I don't expect. And then, yeah, the Fred and Gary stuff. There's just a lot going on in the summer. Um, Kai, any any thoughts on on the summer before we, I guess, talk a little bit about something else? Uh, yeah, I thought that them keeping Fred and keeping OG is kind of going to look bad in the summer because now they're, you know, Fred is going to probably opt out of his deal. And like you said, OG is probably headed for free agency because it's been reported. You know, I don't want to make anybody mad, but the reports have said that OG is, you know, unhappy with his role and would like, you know, more for himself. So it doesn't seem like he wants to resign with the team. So teams are obviously going to be looking at that and they're going to say, why am I giving all these picks for a guy who's probably going to be available, you know, next summer? So I think overall the price, you know, the price points for everybody is probably going to go down this summer. Yeah. It, it, it just comes back to it, it is the summer. Um, if you judge this trade as like a standalone, the standalone for me is that the basketball is going to be better. They're, they are going to make the playoffs. And that's good. I enjoy that. I think most fans will enjoy that. But again, you know, when you're talking about the ceiling of the team, it, it got a little bit murkier. The path you choose to, I guess, go down is a little bit more muddled now. And speaking of roles, OG, Gary, Precious, Pirtle, everybody who's impacted by this will be impacted somewhat by the starting lineup. And the Raptors, after not doing a consolidation trade, after not doing, okay, we're going to trade this guy because he wants to go, they could have simplified things that way. But what they did was they added, with draft capital, a pretty damn good player in Jakob Pertl, who's going to start for the team. Uh, the, sh- the little bit of small sample size we have, they're very good with Pertle on the court. Um, they're winning minutes. They're going to win minutes this season. The, they also started him next to Precious Achua. I know all present company loves that front court, has a lot of fun with it. They're a weird big team when they start both those guys, but there's no way that's the case. What is the starting lineup going to be considering they have five guys who average over 15 points. They have Precious Achua who on most teams that are below 500, most teams would want to try and start him because of his ceiling. And then you have... Jakob Pertl, who's definitely starting, despite not being in that high-scoring company. Uh, Kai, we'll start with you. What do you think is going to be the starting lineup post-All-Star break? I think probably the starting lineup post-All-Star break, considering everybody you know is healthy, is probably Fred, Gary, Scotty, Pascal, and, and Jakob for me. Because I think... What? OG? I, OG on and the bench? Oh, yeah, I'm tripping. Bench, Gary... <laughs> And pull OG. I'm tripping. Oh, That's okay. my bad. But yeah, probably Gary and, and Precious to the bench because, you know, we've seen Gary off the bench this season. It worked out really well. He didn't seem to have a problem coming off the bench. He still, you know, gets his shots, plays off everybody really well. And the reason I say you bench Precious is because Precious in the lineup was really to alleviate some of the issues we had with size. And now that we have, you know, Yaga Perto at center, we don't have that, you know, the same need for Precious to be in the lineup. You know, it doesn't. We have Yaku to take, you know, pressure off of guys like, you know, like Pascal and, and OG to like guard, you know, the rim. So I think, and, you know, for development reasons, it's better that Precious, you know, is able to like experiment more in those bench lineups. And it's just, you know, better overall for the team going forward. Yeah, I think that's that's probably, if I had to guess, Trey, are you of the same wisdom? Yeah, the exact same lineup. Uh, 
I think we've all seen like this season that like um, starting um, Fred, Gary, and Scotty together to be your, your main source of point of attack defense is, isn't viable anymore. <laughs> so one of those people need to be on the bench. And obviously Fred has been shooting way too well and obviously has been passing the ball really well as, as a playmaker. So he needs to start. Um, I think the only like confusion would probably be like how much are you – how much do you value Scotty's development? Because this lineup doesn't necessarily um, pertain to focusing on him developing and furthering along as like a potential on-ball creator. Like Jakob is going to take away a lot of those elbow and DOH looks that he does really well. That's that's kind of woke up Scotty and helped his season go along. But if they're just looking for in terms of winning, and they should be because they traded a first-round pick. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Benching Gary and Precious and allowing them to probably flex their muscles with creation off the bench is the most viable way. And I think that lineup, that starting five will probably be a top 10 defense considering when OG's back, considering the amount of size, length, and speed they actually have with both Pascal and OG being able to switch out knowing that they have Jakob as a rim protector. I I do think it'll be really interesting to see what the closeouts look like. Um, how how far they pinch in on drives, especially at the nail, and yeah, it just what tagging looks like in the pick and roll because you're going you're in the NBA, you're going to defend a ton of pick and roll. How high they ask Pirtle to play all season in the pick and roll, or how low, and then how much help they send from either the weak or strong side because sometimes uh, they do strong side, even though that's atypical for the NBA. I, I will take this moment to say that. Gary has impressed me endlessly this season, not only with his application of his skills, his willingness to play off of other guys, and his performance with the the small role changes. Really impressive, but he's been so affable. He's been so gracious about all the different changes that have gone on, um, publicly being called out by the coach, not being included ever by Bobby or Masai when they talk about the future. They never mention his name. All that stuff goes on. He just keeps checking into the game, whether it's at the start or off the bench, playing his game, doing a good job of it. And I think he's, as as somebody who was kind of looking at when he originally signed his contract, like, hmm, I wonder if he'll make good on this. And not not to pocket watch or anything, just from the the zooming out um, perspective. He, he's done like a fantastic job and I can't imagine he'd be thrilled about going to the bench, but he's the guy that the Raptors, I think are lucky how good he is. And the fact that he's probably not going to make waves when you put him there, um, especially if they plan on re-signing him and getting to a number in the future, like that, that has to be consideration is that they don't want to piss a guy off right before he goes into free agency because he, he could sign anywhere and they're going to, he's probably going to hit the bench and he's been super gracious about all that. So I think that's like just big shout out to Gary for that. Cause that's impressive. Um, at least in a team friendly way, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of like Gary friendly stuff going on behind the scenes where he's like, I need to have stuff happen for me to get the biggest bag. And I certainly hope he does. Um, precious. <sighs> I love the precious and Pirtle front court, especially since it makes the Raptors so weird and huge at the three and the two, um, Pascal, Scotty, right? And then once OG comes back, who knows what that looks like. But I typically like size on an NBA court. 
And uh, I think that the NBA kind of bounced back after being like the small ball was really popular because Golden State was the greatest team ever and that kind of stuff. But, you know, size on the court is like such an impressive thing to be able to do in the Raptors. Finally, we'll be able to do it. But so starting lineup sounds like we're all agreed on that. Uh, You said top 10 defense, you think, Trey. Kai, do you see a significant defensive ceiling for that starting lineup as well? Uh, Yeah, I think with the addition of Jakob, it makes, you know, it it really depends if Nick Nurse is willing to use a more traditional scheme, I think, because usually in the regular season, like drop defense, most teams don't have the, you know, the skill set to really punish you with that. And, you know, when you got a bunch of guys like that are so great on defense, like Fred's on-ball defense hasn't been good, but off the ball, I think he's been pretty solid. And then you got OG around and Pascal around. So I think, you know, top 10 is pretty feasible, but it just depends if they just, you know, switch to a more, you know, drop heavy coverage instead of putting players in like more riskier positions, you know? Yeah. And, and Trey, the bench now, we're looking at Chris Boucher, who is across the NBA, I think, considered a good bench player. Yeah. At, at the very least, should be considered that. You also have Precious Achua, who I think you could say the same. He's also, depending on the game you get him in, could be a very good NBA player. Um, and then he has he has a good floor because of the defense. And you also have Gary. Who else are you looking to round out the rotation? You have the guys like Wancho. Um, I can't imagine Delano, you know, figures into your plans. Like what what does your ideal rotation look like now that we've kind of settled on a starting lineup? I think ideally if if you want to round out the bench, it would probably be Malachi. He's shown a little bit of moments where he can operate as a pick and roll <laughs> operator and when he's hitting his threes they're quite valuable just because the raptors are lacking shooting even to this day i think most likely they're going to stick to like an eight-man rotation because they need to jump up in the standings and they're either going to have one of scotty fred and pascal operate those bench lineups with those play finishers like gary boucher precious even Thad at times but um Ideally, they need to reduce some of these minutes for these guys. So giving Malachi, even if it's 10 minutes, to operate as a as a backup point guard and not just uh, a corner shooter would help a lot and also just like see what you have in him. I, I wonder if the the natural progression for this team is that Pascal's minutes come down a little bit, Fred's minutes come down a little bit, Scotty's remain similar to where they currently are. I wonder if that's the way it's going to work out and if they're going to try and get a little bit more uh, dangerous with how they stagger with like Scotty-centric units, considering the the bench has gotten stronger now. I do wonder if that's the way they go, and that's a, but that's probably not the way to maximize winning games down the stretch. It, it depends how well they do as, as a starting unit, I suppose, to get them off to good starts in games. But recently... They've been doing quite well, but they've also been getting threes from Pascal and Scotty, which hasn't been the case all season, and even from Chris Boucher too. So that stuff could evaporate. Um, Kai, do you have any different opinions on what the bench might look like here? I mean, I pretty much agree with Trey. You know, at this point, it would be nice to see what you have from some of the guys that you, you know, drafted. And it would be nice for the guys, you know, some of the minutes to come down because it's more you can like justify you know the the high minutes more like if you're winning and it's you know working real well but you can't really justify you know 38 39 40 minutes and then you're still losing the games because at that point it just becomes really dangerous for you know the future of their career 
So it's, it's best if you just say, you know, let's give Malachi a few minutes, maybe run Delano out there sometimes, give my guy Jeff Dowling some, some burn, like, you know, <laughs> just things like that. I think, man, Jeff, I would be very interested if down the stretch of the season, if Jeff is able to get into a position where, because the, the 905 season ends before April, and there's going to be, I don't know, six, seven games in April or between the end of the 905 season and the end of the, the regular season in the NBA. And I, I wonder if Jeff might get a run at some of the, the minutes where they typically insert Malachi. And, and, you know, it depends on where the shooting is at for the rest of the roster, how it's been trending. I think Malachi has been a nice guy that in some games just plugging in and having a guy who if the ball swings to him, you know, you stand a decent chance at making a shot. I don't know if Jeff is there, but as far as like if the ball is humming around, putting the ball down, making reads, and having a little bit more punchy point of attack defense, Jeff has shown something in most of the games that he's played in. So I'd be very interested to see if that happens. But man, who's to say really? It's it's interesting how they're going to navigate this. The next question, of course, is we can stamp it early. Can this team win a playoff round? That's that's what I want to hear. And you know what? I'll let everybody set their own terms. If you want to name a matchup you think they can win, it doesn't just have to be yes. If you want to name the matchup and why, feel free. Uh, Kai, let, let's start with you. Can the Raptors win a playoff matchup? And let's obviously pretend they're going to be the the lower seed in this scenario. Man, you trying to get me in trouble. They already don't like the quick reaction, so you're trying to give me more trouble. <laughs> um, I'm going to say, I mean, it, it really depends on matchup, but most likely the Raptors probably won't want to play off you know, seeding. I won't say it's, like, impossible. Like, they can't – because I think if you catch Cleveland – This make, is what you know, I wanted. Maybe, like, you know, it would be, like, you know, a good, you know, you know close series, like seven games – but I don't think they can, you know, contend with like, you know, the top of the East, like, you know, Milwaukee and and um Boston, like guys like that, and like Philly. That I don't think they have a chance in those. But like, if you can catch like, you know, a team like Cleveland, like that Cleveland is great. But like, maybe some of the experience, you know, where's you know in the right direction for the Raptors. So I think they're capable, depending on matchup, definitely. But I wouldn't say they should be favored or anything like that. So let's let's say the the standings right now. The Raptors are currently 10th at 28 and 31. Ahead of them, Washington, Atlanta, Miami, New York, and Brooklyn, nine through five. I could conceivably, just because of Brooklyn's new roster makeup, the fact that the Knicks, I think, will be okay through the rest of the season, and Miami, who knows? The Raptors could catch conceivably any team there. The likelihood that they pass all five is not high. The Cleveland matchup probably isn't happening unless Cleveland leapfrogs Philly and maybe Milwaukee. But you're looking at probably a matchup with Boston or Milwaukee. Do the Raptors have the juice for either of those matchups? Provided that, well, it looks like the the league MVP probably won't be on either team they play, which is nice to know. But um, <laughs> what, what do you think, <laughs> But, but wait, before I start, I I never really specified what MVP Jason Tatum was going to win. Oh, my God. <laughs> nah. I, well, I never specified it. what MVP he was going to win. That, so I feel like I've been vindicated. Personally. I never had a man in my life try and have his cake and eat it too this aggressively. I never in my, never in my days. 
This is egregious. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Jason Tatum is the MVP. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> Raptors versus Boston or Milwaukee. What what are your thoughts? Um, I I think they don't have a. Sh- I don't think they can beat either, but I do think they have a better shot at Milwaukee than they do at Boston. With Boston, just simply because like the nature of the Raptors system, um, they get punished by threes, and Boston is one of the best shooting teams in the league. So I just think naturally isn't a great matchup, even if the Raptors may overmatch them somewhere with their their size. But with Milwaukee, they're very straightforward offense. They kind of they haven't been the best offense typically with Giannis this season, and simply just because they don't have guys on the outside that punish you when you wall up against Giannis. And now with Pascal, OG, Perdo, they probably present like one of the best chances of like giving Giannis like a very tough time. Well, I think that will lead into like a series win. No, but that could lead into probably a six game series where Giannis averages 25, 12 and, and eight instead of 35. And he's shooting 45% for the field. And it's a very, very tough. But I think like overall, like when looking at even like the, the Pernal trade, you kind of have to look at it in the aspect of like probably teams five through 10. Now the rap, I would probably favor the Raptors to win this series, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So going into next season, I'd feel very confident in them being a higher seed and knowing that they have probably more talent than a good amount of these, like good amount of these teams. That's that's a good point to make. And that's that's when you look at this team, if that's what you want for Scotty, then like this is this is the silver lining, is that the Raptors did make their team better. If Scotty because Scotty's taken a leap this season, certainly. For the people who are paying attention, they saw it from the start. They saw what he was struggling with and said, like, this this is normal. He he was meant to struggle with this stuff, but he's getting better at these other things. If he leapfrogs a lot of his limitations going into next season, then the Raptors will have be in a much better position to support his stardom or rising stardom with Pirtle on the roster and maybe star hunting in the summer or guys re-signed. They should be in a better position to support a young star than they were. Now, as he approaches his, I guess, max deal that he's eventually going to sign, that's where not having having these good first round picks on good contracts to su- with good talent to supplement him, that's where it starts to smart. That's where you get you start to feel it. But in the short term, this year, next year, the Raptors are definitely a better team. And if Scotty and Pascal are like a wonder twin duo and they Head and like Pascal is still giving you 25, 8, and 7, or 25, 8, and 6. And they managed to be a team that, you know, maybe next season, Milwaukee, it looks a little bit, you know, scary hours for them, maybe. Or maybe, you know, Philly, Harden's gone, something like that. The Raptors can punch up at the top of the East. This season, though, it's going to be, you know, a Herculean task. It's going to be tough. But, but you're correct. I'll get Cleveland, Brooklyn, New York, Miami. Atlanta, Washington, I give the Raptors a chance at any of those series. The, the tough thing is that we're not getting any of those series, I don't think. So no. that's, a, that's a fine way to put it. Does anybody else, what, you know, do you, let's talk about Scotty then, just as like the final thing. We, we know this team is set up to be better the next two seasons or season and a half or season and a third, whatever. Are you happy about that? And do you think that's going to be meaningful for Scotty's career, because we know it will be for Pascal's at the very least. 
I think for me, it's like certainly meaningful that he has to play within structure and 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 try to fit with winning players. Like most most stars you see, they grow up in in structures where they have veterans around them and they figure out how to win, and their stardom helps it like accentuate that team further. You saw that with um, Steph, Tatum, players like that who who are winning from day one, and Scotty's in that situation currently. I think um, just like what I alluded to previously, like the Yakov fit is kind of a bit tricky just offensively, just because Yak will take away some of the things that Scotty was accelerating, was excelling at, at like a mm-hmm. low hanging fruit level. But um, it will force him to have to probably become a, a better shooter and B be able to actually face up so he can use Yak as a, a real weapon um, with kickouts and, and lobs and things like that. So I think, Overall, it's it's a plus for him and him being able to being him being forced to try to win. You see teams like Houston, where the structure may be worse for players, um, is useful and beneficial. And ideally, if you have a st- within his year three or year four career, um, we hit on a star that you're then paired with this player who's super young, who knows how to win with a star and Pascal Siakam. And now you you're contending. So I think overall, it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it does lean quite heavily, or it, it makes you lean heavily on the idea that Masai and Bobby will figure it out. That like it, it's a tough way to see that you kind of make it through this summer, the rest of this season, while still maximizing the talent on the roster and remaining flexible into the future and understanding like this is a team that isn't capped out, that has avenues to upgrade and to get younger and to like, um, I guess pivot where they need to. All the great teams pivot when they have to and in a sensible way that maximizes them going forward. And I think that the last couple of years probably wouldn't make people um, blindly believe in Masai and Bobby. They've had quite a few misses, objective misses that they would probably acknowledge themselves. But um, they also brought a championship and... I don't think, I, I don't know. I grew up watching the Raptors. I, I know you did as well, Trey. Kai, you grew up watching more American basketball, you know. <laughs> but I didn't I didn't think the Raptors were going to win a championship anytime soon. Kai, what are your thoughts on Scotty and uh, the next couple of years and what this team looks like around him? I mean, I think Toronto has done kind of a good job letting Scotty, you know, experiment at times. And I think they've allowed him to just develop at a pace that is, you know, that's not going to sink the team down with him because they surround him with a lot of talent. So it's like it's not all on Scotty's back to, you know, get the team wins. And, you know, he has guys who can set things up for him, like Fred and Scotty in the pick and roll this year. I think that's worked pretty well. And like, you know, getting Scotty some looks and just overall, you know, for the next few seasons, I like how they're trying to, you know, put Scotty in a system where it's like, you don't have to do everything on both ends. We just need you to, you know, excel at your own rate. And, you know, there's just like I like how there's just not a lot of pressure on Scotty to, you know, really just taking massive leaps. Like the leap he's taking this year has been really, really great, but it wasn't like some sort of all-star leap. And I just like how there's not really a lot of pressure for him to, you know, excel in that kind of way. And it's just him, you know, taking his time and just really just, you know, making sure he has the the people in place to kind of hide his flaws because he's not the best defender, but he has a lot of good defenders around him. He's not like some great shooter, but he has some shooting around him. So I just like how they just, you know, like I said before, there's not a lot of pressure on Scotty to, you know, be great, you know, from day one and just, you know, have to, you know, 
carry the team, you know, to wins. Like I just like I just not a lot of pressure on him. That's um that kind of brings up what what Trey was saying about the fit with Pirtle, and also the fact that Gary gets more creation reps with the Raptors than he would on many other teams in the league. OG, despite disliking his role, probably gets more or had an opportunity to get more creation reps on the Raptors than quite a few other teams in the league. And if Scotty does develop his guard skills, his creation skills, the roster is right there to say, yes, we need more of that. You can have some of Fred's provided you do well. You can have some of Pascal's provided you do well. There are possessions here for you to take if you grow in this way. The tough part is if Pascal doesn't become a better shooter than he is now with, with his shot die getting a little bit easier, that if Scotty doesn't become a better shooter, Jakob definitely isn't becoming a better shooter. That's not his game at all. Then you're still looking at a team that's like, we don't shoot in three of our five starting positions. And that's that's the tough thing. So it definitely is a bet on development. And it's a bet on just putting good guys on a roster. And Nick Nurse has to figure it out. And um, th- that's probably the most interesting thing about this team is that there's a lot of good players, but they have to figure out how they attack the problem of making all those guys maximized. Uh, a question probably not uh, neither of us has the answer to, but Trey, Kai, we'll start with you, Kai. Any, uh, I guess, leaving remarks uh, for, for the listener base? I say keep hopes up. We're going to the playoffs. I'm gonna stamp it. We we gonna make the playoffs. I'll, I'll say that. Let, let's let's go to the playoffs. Okay, Trey. Yep. I would say like if we did this a week ago, I I'd be much more sad. But now that I've <laughs> had time to reflect, the team has gotten a lot better. The last two games have been very enjoyable, and I I would be pretty shocked if they didn't make the playoffs. And I think whoever they play, they're going to get at least a game or two off of them. If if they don't make the playoffs, I'm in, I'm in a dark spot, man. I'm like, uh, that would be, I'd be shocked. I'd That'd be, be dark. For real. Whew, that there there is a lot of like nightmare. Considering how many guys are up for contract this offseason, there's a nightmare scenario out there. Considering what they just traded, but I, I don't think that we we enter the nightmare timeline or anything like that. I, I think that the team will be. In the if if not in the position they need to be in, at least approximately in that area. I don't I don't think goes things go south in Toronto uh, to the degree that this is now like a destitute franchise or anything like that. Um, I think at this point now, everybody here and, and most fans are used to success and like a great deal of it that the Raptors when we look at this team, we're like, this isn't what we're used to or what we've been accustomed to over the past eight, 10 years. So like, damn. But still, you look at a lot of other organizations around the league and the Raptors are in a like a significantly better position to pivot if they need to, to grow if they're allowed to do so, all that kind of stuff. Um, fellas, Kai, thank you for joining Trey's podcast. I'm the co-host, of course. Um, Trey, I'll, I'll let you close this one out. Uh, we'll, we'll say goodbye to everybody. All right. Like um, my co-host Samson said, like and subscribe on <laughs> Raptors Republic and YouTube as well. Thank you, Makai, for joining our podcast. First of many. And um, I will see you guys Ooh. later. See ya. <laughs>